this is a macro trend in publishing. Everybody's going membership. I think that the most important thing that you have to do when you're starting is be able to articulate the benefits of membership from the point of view of your customer, not from the point of view of your company. If you're asking people to spend their time and their energy to A, pay attention to you, and B, whip out their credit card and give you money for it, then you have to be able to articulate the benefits from their point of view. And that is not as easy as you think it's going to be. You're listening to our special guest today, Claire Whitmer. She's the Director of Digital and Product Strategy for Make.co. They empower people of all ages around the world to explore their creativity, build innovative communities, and to have fun in the process of making things. Their YouTube channel, with over 1.5 million subscribers, can show you how to make anything from a wooden spoon to an MP3 music box. Claire joins us on the podcast today to share the process Make.co went through in adding a membership component to their business. We can always learn something from someone else's experience, and Claire shares with us very transparently some of the challenges they faced and also some illuminating insights gained over the last year getting their membership site up and running. So if you're working on your own membership site or thinking about starting one, this information is for you. Thanks for joining us for episode 111 of the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Turnison. All right. Hey, Claire, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Great. Um, So just to get started, can you tell me a little bit about your background? Well, my background is that I've been at Maker Media for four years as head of digital product. And before that, I worked at a a lot of uh, digital communities, including Slashdot, and uh, going back to the launch of CNET News in 1999. I was the founding news editor there. And I have a, a long background in uh, in the technology industry coverage. I worked for Ziff and IDG in their heyday and, uh, and then transitioned through CNET to the internet and then also to product management, which is what I've been doing ever since. Nice. So what was the transition like? How did you come to be introduced with Maker Media and why did you end up working with them? Well, honestly, I call myself a maker mom. I had a son who was 14 at the time and a girlfriend of mine said, let's go to this thing called Maker Fair. I'm like, what's a Maker Fair? And went to it. My son fell in love with the community and with the experience, but so did I. And then I just had a stroke of luck and a friend of a friend knew a friend of a friend. And I got a personal connection to Dale, uh, Dougherty, our founder. And I interviewed at a Maker Fair and got the job. And it was a very happy day. I've had, uh, I've had three opportunities in my career where I really felt like it wasn't just a job. It was something more important than um, uh, than the position itself. And this is one of them. Uh, everybody who works at Make really feels like we are part of a um, part of the mission. We are true believers. That's great. So you guys are making a company together. Exactly. So um, talk a little bit about Maker Media and what it does. And then also at the same time, tell us a little bit about that conversation with Dale. Um, what was it that so inspired both of you? Uh, what what area was he looking for help in and what, where were you 
saying, oh, well, that's what I do. That's what I can assist with. Well, I think that that part has morphed over the course of the four years. But I think that uh, my my main focus and my main contribution as, as a, an, an employee is really trying to um, focus on analytics and customer information in a way that will make make more effective to our mission, which is making more makers. Um, uh, We support and facilitate the growth of the maker community. That's our mission. And we do that by helping makers learn, connect, and share. The history of the company goes back 13 years to a time where it was very DIY. That's, uh, <laughs> that is, of course, um, what we do in the community that we support. But uh, as we've grown, our tools in uh, specifically data analytics um, and customer acquisition have uh, have not necessarily evolved with the, gro- the growth of the, the community. And I think that that's what I focus on bringing so that we are more effective the mission hasn't changed, but our ability to execute on it has. Right. So I imagine um, as far as the digital arena goes, outreach is a huge um, area for you to look at. How do we reach more people? How do we engage people? Is that Are those the kinds of things you've been looking at? Absolutely. It's a, it's, you know, I work on digital platforms. It's always about reach. It's always about what I refer to as the eyeballs. But uh, specifically in our case, I think that, uh, and this reflects directly to the membership program that we launched last year, is about uh, monetizing the content in appropriate ways. So I think our relationship with the community is um, uh, that we supported them in very direct ways. For example, makers don't necessarily pay to come to Maker Fair. They pay their travel expenses, they pay for their projects, but they don't don't pay for booth space as they would at a traditional trade show. That's our relationship with them in so in terms of producing Maker Fair and in to, terms of producing the content. We likewise have expenses that we support. Um, including principally, of course, the physical printing of a magazine. And learning how to amortize those costs in community-appropriate ways has been a big part of these discussions. So it sounded like for, for a while, the business was engaging with customers in a certain way. And then part of your job when you came in, like you said, you launched an online membership a year ago. And one of the conversations you had to have is, okay, well, how are we how are we going to present this content? How are we going to cover our costs? But at the same time, how are we going to make sure that we're not ruffling the feathers or getting in the way of the community growing and being satisfied? And so let's start with how you approached it in the beginning. When you first decided, okay, we're going to start an online membership, what were the components of that decision? Why did you think that that was going to be something that would help um, in achieving your goals? Well, to be honest, I'm not sure that our thinking was that sophisticated at the beginning, other than to observe that this is a macro trend in publishing. Everybody's going membership. Uh, and the you know that we had we had lost traction on uh, selling digital ads in the era of Facebook and Google. Obviously, those are macro trends. Um, All media companies are struggling with these questions um, in the modern era. And again, as opposed to maybe some of your other customers, we are a brand that goes back 13 years. So uh, the media landscape was was really very materially different when we started our brand. Um, So 
Uh, so we make an observation um, uh, that this is an industry's trend. We want to incorporate it into our strategy. And I don't think we quite understood how um, fundamental uh, the conflict was over monetization of digital con- uh, on content. I'm not sure that we asked all the right questions at the beginning, although I think that we're, we have come to really understand this space better. And and what have you come to? What have you seen over the year that, like you said in the beginning, maybe it wasn't even on your radar, this monetization versus not. So can you go into a little bit more about what you've actually seen and how you perceive that? Well, so I think at the beginning, our approach was very much about recruiting our community to support the maker movement through a membership program. Support Support making equals support make. And honestly, I'm not sure that um, uh, that was the right message. Uh, I think it confused people uh, and because we're not a nonprofit. And also, I think it meant that we undersold the, the content component of it. I think we were a little reticent about just being very upfront about selling membership benefits. We were a little uncomfortable with that at the beginning. And I think that uh, that is a both a learning curve, but also kind of an emotional journey that we have had to, 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 to transverse this, this past year. It's interesting because the thing that just came to mind is it sounds like the artist challenge, right? Like the artist, you, you're you more about the art and the creation and artists typically have a challenge in putting a, a monetary value on what they do. Not that that doesn't have a monetary value, but that there's something that seems like a um, not a contradiction, but uh, there's a little bit of friction there. Um, it may be because of the the intense creative environment of what maker media is. I mean, you you it sounds like everybody who works there, or maybe not everybody, but a lot of you are also makers. You have a passion for it, so there is a very artistic and creative component. And sometimes it's hard to put a value on that and and sell it, you know. But ultimately, it's necessary. I think I think that's right. That we all uh, perceive ourselves as members of the community as well as employees of the company, and I think that's a strength. But it also maybe is not necessarily. I don't want to say it's a conflict, but I think that sometimes it means that um, we have to really uh, separate those thinking processes. Um, and when we're approaching a project like this. Um, we have to be very clear about which goal set we're speaking to for any given decision. And I think that that was not so clear for us when we first launched. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, in a sense, I think um, my journey with MemberMouse has been similar. You know, we use MemberMouse on MemberMouse.com. So in a sense, I'm also a member of the community. And the profit motive isn't the first motive. The first motive is we want to deliver something that's of value to people. But interestingly enough, the thing that's being created too is the business. And I had to come to this too. Like the, the business becomes an entity of its own and you can't starve it. Like I spent a lot of time just focusing on the product and because I was really passionate about that. But then at some point, many points, <laughs> the business was like, hey, you're you're neglecting and ignoring the needs that I have as I grow, there's a community that needs to be supported. There are outreach things that need to happen. We need to share what's been done. And those to me have been some of the hardest lessons 
to learn. I think that's that's absolutely right. That's the perfect description of the process that I'm talking about. But then there's also the step of being able to articulate it. Uh, so in our case, again, where we have long established customer relationships and we want to make changes about how we monetize and how we deliver our content, we have to be confident enough about those decisions to be able to articulate them clearly and in a fair way back to that community. And uh, that is that is the number one imperative of managing a community is transparent communication. And sometimes you end up doing things that are not popular with everybody. And then what do you do in that case? I mean, how have you handled that? Well, in this case, I don't think that necessarily our membership program is an example of that. Uh, Although moving forward, uh, we will uh, deliver content in in a different way where the paywall is more apparent. And I think we uh, we have a membership newsletter where our tagline is how makers um, uh, live, learn and earn. And we need to be able to talk about ourselves as part of that. Right. And when you say the paywall is more apparent, uh, can you give specifics about that in your situation? What was it before that? And um, what is it that you're moving towards now? We had our content delivery. The flagship website was MakeZine, is still MakeZine.com. And uh, we would like to move away from that URL. It's, again, a URL. Zines were cool 13 years ago, but, uh, but uh, less so now. And in the meantime, we have obtained a new URL, Make.co, which we would like to consolidate all of our content assets under a single URL. So that's just a, a digital strategy that has nothing particularly to do with membership, although it allows us to drip content in a way that we have not before. And right now we have not implemented those features. We rolled out member mouse on on make.co as the URL, but there's no other content on make.co right now. In the future, there will be, and we will be able to say, this is gated content, this is free content, which is exactly what member mouse is designed to support. But that is a new technique that has never been uh, put in front of our our readership before. So as we implement that, people are going to notice, oh, hey, I can't get to this particular kind of content or piece of content unless I become a member. And we hopefully will do a good job in articulating the benefits of that content so that that is a very easy decision for them to make, to make that investment. But we are making an ask that we hadn't made before. And that's what I mean by making the paywall more apparent. I see. You have a unique situation because like you said, you guys were in business for 13 years. You had an existing community. That's a much different um, proposition than starting a new business. In a lot of ways, a lot more challenging because you have people who've become comfortable with the way things were. You want to change things. So not only do you have to consider what is the ultimate best strategy, but how do we get from here to that new strategy in steps and transitions that aren't going to be uh, so traumatic that we don't allow people to come with us? 
That, that's exactly right. So the, a membership program for a brand such as ours is a much more incremental process than it would be for a brand new publisher coming out the gate. There are things that maybe I would have phased in, sequenced in, in a different order. So it has been a learning process for us, but I think that that incremental rollout would not have changed. Right. Makes sense. So in terms of your your business model for whatever is going to be monetized, it's mostly your content, right? Is the Maker Fair component staying the same way as it has been? Well, for Maker Fair, we sell tickets to our owned and operated fairs and we sell licensing rights to the 200 plus Maker Fairs around the world that use our brand but are, but are operated by other teams. That's not going to change. And we also have user-generated content, which we would never attempt to, to monetize that. And that is content that has been contributed to us. So uh, I'm talking about monetization of original content for which we pay for the, the creation and production of that content. And so, yes, that is, uh, those are the formulas that we are looking at and trying to recalculate our ROI. How are you making decisions about what content you're going to bring to the table as a company that people are willing to pay for. So we are examining really the the maker's journey uh, from the the point that they first have contact with our brand. Frequently, they attend a maker fair first, uh, although not always. Uh, We don't have maker fairs everywhere in the world, although that's the mission. Uh, But uh, then they, what we want as a result of that brand interaction is for them to start having hands-on experiences to start making things and telling those stories and to get to the point where they themselves are ready to declare, I'm a maker too. That's our job. Uh, And then they start integrating themselves into the community in more and more um, uh, profound ways. They might come to Maker Fair as a participant at some point in that journey. They might start a makerspace at some point in that journey. They might uh, prototype, fund, and create a product. Uh, And our job is to look at content that supports that entire narrative, that entire spectrum. And uh, and look at which parts of that, which which pieces of that content are appropriate for us to say, okay, this is this is expensive for us to produce. It has a high value to the customer. This is something that we can monetize, and it's all ad hoc. We are making decisions on 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 that template by template by template. Right, and and I really appreciate that approach because it, to me. It's kind of like a crowdsourcing, like you as the leadership of the company and the decision makers are keeping your ear to the ground, listening to what people need in support of their journey and do that, do the things that only you could do. Okay. We recognize that there's a large group of people who are interested in these things. We have the funding where we can go and produce something that would help. And then in exchange, those people, um, crowdsource it by paying with their dollar saying, yes, that is valuable to me. And I will, that is valuable for me to pay for. And whatever value I get out of it as far exceeds the dollars that I'm giving you. That's exactly right. And I think that just to go back to the earlier point in our conversation, I think we were 
reluctant to really make that nexus very, very clear. Uh, so just saying that to our readership um, of like, look, you know, th- we're a publishing company. Publishing company sells content. Uh, that uh, that was a little uncomfortable for us at the beginning. And I think that this year has been really about getting over that, um, specifically in the de- digital realm. We never felt embarrassed about charging for our magazine, but somehow that was not true on the digital platforms. And I, and, But making the right trade-offs between what I refer to as freemium content, which, um, uh, which bra- draws people to your brand, and then choosing the right moments at which you say, okay, this is, here's the paywall. <laughs> Here it is. Um, and this is why you should cross that. Uh, that's, that's our task. Right. Now, something that's personally interesting to me is, is kind of the organizational aspects of it. Because you mentioned the discomfort. And, you know, this isn't just Claire and Maker Media. I mean, there's there's people at different levels in the company, um, just like the community, the, the people working at the company can get used to the way things are. So when something's uncomfortable, sometimes there are challenges and obstacles internally that can arise that keep things from moving forward. Was there anything like that that you experienced? And if so, like how did how did you get past it? And how did everybody end up getting on board to actually make this journey, although it is uncomfortable? Well, I think that that really has has been where a lot of the energy has gone in these in this year is us talking through as a leadership team where where those lines were, um, how to approach them, and I think we we also reached out for some external feedback from from you know different consultants and i think that uh that really helped validate um uh, some of the discussion internal discussions um is getting a third party point of view not necessarily to tell us something that we hadn't discussed or hadn't thought about before but to to really be a sounding board um uh, for those internal discussions so i wouldn't say necessarily that it was conflictual but it was a process yeah, that makes sense. I mean, because if you want to do something new and different, you know, we can get into echo chambers within our own teams. Exactly. So we can either be rah, rah, rah for it or boo, boo, boo for it. And so if you get some external perspective uh, to come in and validate, then that can be make all the difference because then it's not just you anymore. That's that's exactly right, and and some of that external perspective was from the customers. So I had. And I think that this was this was really valuable to me is that, uh, and this is this is part of our company culture is that everybody works maker fair. Uh, so I am the head of digital product, but I also am in the booth selling memberships and subscriptions at Maker Fair, um, and got our brand uh, Make and the cover of the magazine right there at our booth. So I actually am face to face with our customers trying to sell our membership program at both Bay Area and New York in the past year and having those customer conversations about what what is clicking and you can see it you can see it in their face right uh, you don't get this when you're selling online but when you're in a booth and you can see the person looking at you you know what was the moment what was the moment that I got that person uh, to un- to understand the value proposition here yeah that is so much of the process of the figuring things out is really having it, 
It seems so simple, but ultimately these are the people with, that we're working for in our jobs, right? But sometimes it, it can be very easy with with a with a digital companies to forget that to forget the value that just a 10 minute conversation can have because they tell you everything if you listen. Yeah, they do tell you everything. You can you 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 get it right away. Uh, and and I will I will tell you that the I am now referring to this internally as the Homer Simpson moment, just meaning like, duh, we did user interviews at Maker Faire New York and across a a bunch of digital subjects, not just membership, but uh, specifically membership. And our question is, you know, why, why would you want to become a member? Obviously, that's the question. And the moment was where we had a lot of users say, oh, well, I'm already a member. I've been a member for years. I'm like, how could you be a member for years? We just launched this program in May. And they were confused between the difference between our membership program, which is in our minds a specifically digital effort, and subscription to the magazine. And now that I explain this, it seems so obvious, how, but that goes back to the echo chamber that you referred to earlier, is that our business objectives were so clear in our minds that it never occurred to us that this would be as significant a source of confusion as it was. And I think that that was probably the biggest mistake that we made. And now that wouldn't apply to all membership publishers who are only digital, but for us with an established print brand, that was the number one mistake we made this year. But I think that does highlight a very critical point about the value of listening and talking to customers is that words are so important. You may be using a word such as member internally as one thing, but if the community uses it differently as like, oh, I am a member, meaning they were probably talking about, well, I already am an inclusive part of this community. I belong here. Right. It's That's how they've packed that word. So if you start using that word as some other different way in your marketing, it's going to cause confusion. You know, And that's true for us all whenever we write copy. Um, Dan Karen was on with us recently, and he I've learned a lot from him, but one of the things that's so simple is when you talk to your customers, listen to exactly what words they use because they tell you how they want to be spoken to. That's it. That's exactly right. And if we had done that user testing prior to the launch of the the magazine, we almost surely would have changed the the wording and the messaging. Um, not necessarily the offer, but the the marketing around it. And in our case, it also it does also applied to other technical systems um, that uh, back in workflow that does not necessarily, um, again, apply to a digital only experience, that uh, fulfillment of the magazine is done in a fundamentally different way. So if I were to go back, I would say, all right, we need to invest in really combining these sales funnels, making it a bundled um, opportunity from the very beginning. But that would have delayed our launch by quite a bit because there were technical challenges to, to doing that. So honestly, if I had understood all this, would I have changed the decision making? It's re- that would be disingenuous to to really be able to to you know Monday morning quarterback that. Uh, but that is what I understand now. 
Yeah, of course. But I really appreciate the maker spirit in all this, right? Because you just get started. And when the prototype gets to a point where it's no longer functioning, you throw it on the floor and you start over again, in a sense, with the lessons you've learned. Because there's there's different approaches. You could You can analyze and plan and design before doing anything for a long time and then get started. And that's a, a valid approach too. It's just about what's the personality type. And given that what your company's about, it's not a surprise that that's the approach that you took. Just, hey, let's do it. Let's get the ball rolling and we'll deal with whatever comes and keep moving. Yeah, that is how I, I like to think about it. Um, and partly because I don't get to think about it another way. <laughs> yeah, that's a, these, yeah. This is the time frame and the resources that we have. Um, uh, but, but I think that there is something healthy about that if you can perceive it as, um, uh, as learnings and, you know, don't, don't waste your energy on, um, on, on should have, could have, would have. So um, uh, just keep moving. Yeah. I mean, if you go back and listen to the first four episodes of this podcast, the first episode, we didn't even know it was going to be a podcast. <laughs> but by by chance, at the end of it, I said, hey, by the way, we're going to do interviews with other people. And then we got off the call, the call and we're like, wait, we're going to do interviews with other people. And then the next two or three podcasts, we were trying out different names. So you'll listen to these old podcasts and we use different names in the, the podcast itself, the recordings. Um, but it basically kind of just formulated itself over time, um, which, I, which I love because sometimes you can't imagine things from the beginning as good as they can be if they just organically happen. Right. Um, uh, that's, that's exactly right. So, you know, as long as you commit to those touch points with your customers. Uh, uh, so I don't, you know, if you have time to do some of that before you launch a program, that's great. It's not going to hurt you. But but really, it's the the commitment to communication that is the important part, not the sequencing. Right. So, given everything that's happened up to this point, um, what are your plans and things that you're looking to accomplish um, over the next six months? So, for the membership site, there's really two initiatives in 2019, and I've kind of obliquely mentioned both of them. One is moving our content to make.co so that I can not necessarily change the nature of the content, um, but that I can make these paywall delineations clear and then start to introduce content that is specifically designed to be part of a membership experience like maybe our own podcast, for example, and more video, which is a form of delivery that I, I think is working for us. We've been very successful historically in our YouTube channel. It has a huge following, but uh, it is hard to monetize on YouTube. So, so where is the right delivery line between providing that and continuing to, to, to feed our YouTube subscribers and then having some of that as monetized opportunities as well? For example, our Maker Faire presenters. One of the cells at Maker Faire is you come to Maker Faire, we have really, and I, I'll just say this, we have absolutely mind-blowing presentations. The speaker content at Maker Faire is so rich and so diverse. But if you're there as an attendee, getting to all the stages for all the speakers is impossible, right? So 
we are now videotaping them and offering them online as uh, as kind of a Maker Faire add-on, let's say. Uh, you missed something that you really wanted to hear? Well, you can become a member and have access to all of it. And so continuing along those lines is part of our initiative. But really, in order to get there where it is effective um, and efficient for us to do that, we have to really focus on um, delivering the content on a single domain, which is going to be make.co. And the second effort is really bundling in an appropriate way the, the print opportunity and the digital opportunity. So the biggest draw for our subscribers to our membership offerings is the digital library of Make. Uh, we have, uh, you are able to, to go on and browse the entire library of Make, which again is 13, 14 years of issues. So that's a very rich digital experience. But right now, you can't add on a print subscription or you can't gift a print subscription. So we need to fix that in 2019. Cool. And you were saying the filming uh, at the fair and making that an add-on for fair attendees. Um, personally, I, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a full-time maker, but personally, I'd be interested in attending a fair digitally completely, right? Like just buying attendance to the fair, not going physically at all, but being able to watch the videos. Well, that is that is also available. You could become a member, Eric, and, and, and get that right now. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of which, how does that happen? So, um, so that is something that we have behind the paywall on make.co. So you come in, we have right now three tiers, all everybody who becomes an authenticated user of any of our properties right now is given a, a basic membership that puts them on a newsletter where I tell them about other opportunities. And, and also I have guest speakers come into that. So that kind of gives a sense of identity to make membership. So that's, that's a, that's a, the basic tier a free tier. I, I do think that that is uh, the right way to approach it. Don't put the paywall in front of everything. Give people a step-up opportunity. Um, the upsell of the newsletter really has been effective for us. Um, but then you can advertise to those basic members things like Make a Fair Just Happened. Would you like to see the video? Uh, so we have a hands-on tier that gives you digital opportunities. And then our third tier, because again, we are a tangible brand. Um, we have the the all brand experience. We call that the mastery level, and there we also give discounts against our other properties. So, and this has been effective for us. There are families that plan their year around their attendance to Maker Fair. They know when they're at Maker Fair New York this year that they're going to come back next year, and we give them a discount on tickets, for example, and I can quantify how much savings that will be for them. You buy a $99 membership, and that's worth $64 in Maker Fair tickets for a family of four. That is an effective sales line. Well, you know what's really clear to me is that there's just so much opportunity. You're not in a position as a company where you're like, oh, things aren't going well. We need to figure out how to get our head above water. No, it's like the maker movement is growing. You guys are very well positioned and you're identifying the opportunity. You're rec you're asking the right questions and you're, you have the energy and enthusiasm to do something about it. Um, and you're working through the challenges and all that, but you know, 
it's going to be really cool to see where you guys are in a year. I, we, th- we think so too. Uh, so although I have identified some of our, our stumble points, because I think that that's, um, that's why you invite speakers on to help, uh, to help other people learn. Um, uh, but, uh, but I, I do feel very enthusiastic about where we are landing at the end of this year that I feel like our, our learnings were positive that we, it helped make actionable decisions for our strategy for next year. And that my experience of, of being in front of the customer and, it really, you know, being the salesperson, pitching our membership program was enormously positive. And speaking of lessons learned and how that can help others, you've already shared a number of them already. Um, but as a final one, is there something that you could share with someone maybe starting a membership or approaching a business and that you could offer from your standpoint? Well, I think that the most important thing that you have to do when you're starting is be able to articulate the benefits of membership from the point of view of your customer, not from the point of view of your company. You know what the benefits are. It's revenue. That's awesome for you. Um, But if you're asking people to spend their time and their energy to A, pay attention to you, and B, whip out their credit card and give you money for it, then you have to be able to articulate the benefits from their point of view. And that is not as easy as you think it's going to be. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, and uh, there's a lot of special sauce that goes into that. Ultimately, it's it, when you get that right, it's because there's a pure harmony between you and your understanding of your audience, which is ultimately, in my estimation, what having any sort of offering is about. You are in putting yourself in the position of offering something somebody's in the position of receiving it and the best things happen when both are getting what they need out of the relationship that's absolutely right which is which is why i would recommend as my my second most important learning is uh and you may not agree with this eric but um i'm a big fan of the freemium tier where you have a correctly articulated level of commitment to to what you're going to provide for free so that you're not overspending on customer acquisition, but uh, that you have a channel into your membership program that is an extremely, has an extremely low bar so that you do have a communication channel with both you to them, but them the, them to you. Like in our in our welcome email, we put a link to a Survey Monkey link that we have going all the time, basically, uh, so that we're constantly getting feedback from new members of, you know, how they heard about us, what was the number one benefit to them. I forget all the other questions. It's three or four questions, um, but. Uh, if you don't, if you don't create a very wide onboarding path, you don't get that kind of feedback. Yeah, and I 100% agree with you on the freemium model. Um, and other guests that we've had on have have mirrored the importance of that as well. You know, offering, uh, starting with offering value. Don't expect um, somebody coming to your door to have to do all the work to make to to make the sale. Like, give them something. Show them that you're in it, show them that you're committed, show them you have something that would be valuable to them. 
uh, and take the risk because yeah, it does cost us something to offer things for free. But like you said, you have to balance it. You have to balance uh, how much you're giving away and how much you're not. But um, I think leaning towards giving away more um, because oftentimes I think people can be uh, react to giving away things for free and and get scared of it. Like, oh, well, that's that's all my stuff. And then what am I going to charge people for? And ultimately that gets into mindset challenges, right? And and you do have to do the math. So on, you know, what is, what is, and, and that leads, that supports that conversation of the articulation of benefits of like, what does it really cost me to give this away for free? And you may not understand that completely when you first start the exercise, but you need to be able to do that math in order to, to make these decisions. And that's, that's work. But it's 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 gonna that's work that's gonna pay off in the long run. Yeah, for sure. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on with us, Claire, and, and share your experience, being very open with us about the process and the things that worked and the things that didn't. It's been super helpful. And as a final thing, um, do you have any resources, links, or anything you'd like to share if people want to learn more about Maker Media? Well, so the bulk of our content is still on Make Scene, so I am always interested in feedback on the content itself. Um, and our membership program is launched right now at Make.co. So any of your uh, customers uh, who are listening to me and have feedback, memberships at makermedia.com, drop me a line and let me know what you think. Um, and um, if I may, Eric, it would be great if we could offer downloadable membership cards in our welcome email. That would be my number one technology ask. <laughs> downloadable membership cards. Um, what would that look like? As in your welcome email, you can say, welcome new member. Here's your membership card with your membership number on it, which is part of your member mouse account. Um, those are generated. And then for a brand like us, where we have physical touch points, if people could show those at the gate, that would be great for us. I think you can do that already. Well, great. Then you can teach me how. Unless I'm hearing you incorrectly. Basically, you can use smart tags in the welcome email. And smart tags are, they're basically variables that you can insert into the welcome email. So for example, in that situation, you would use the member data smart tag that inputs their member ID. You would use the member data smart tag that inputs their first name and last name and whatever else you wanted to do. And of course, that would be surrounded by some design element, which doesn't have anything to do with member mouse that makes it look like a card and et cetera. But as far as the data that you need to, to make it dynamic for the person, that's available using the smart tags. Well, that's awesome. My, my team will be thrilled to know that I'm going to create a new product ticket after this call then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, just, they should just go to support.membermouse.com and then type in member data into the search field and they'll get exactly what they need instructions um, on how to do that. So moral of the story, ask and you shall receive. <laughs> well, thankfully, thankfully I, I could help you out with that one in the short term, but yeah. Well, uh, Member Mouse does have, and this was this was one of the reasons why we went with Member Mouse is, uh, is having access to the knowledge base is not a feature of all of your competitors and uh, it, it has been very useful to us this year. Yeah. Speaking of freemium, I mean, we put a lot of effort into that. We do it with a similar intention of why you do it because we want people to be successful. And this is the kind of thing that it takes in order for that to happen. Exactly. So I appreciate 
you mentioning it, and I'm glad that you find it useful. So again, Claire, thank you so much for your time uh, taking the talk to us and appreciate it. Thank you, Eric, and all your team. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode and a big thank you to Claire for coming on and sharing her story. If you'd like to learn more about what Make.co is up to, head over to their website at Make.co, the home of their digital content and membership program. You can also check them out on YouTube by going to youtube.com slash make magazine. For the complete show notes and a transcript of today's episode, please visit subscriptionentrepreneur.com slash 111. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher for more interviews with successful entrepreneurs. Speaking of which, be sure to stay tuned for our next episode. We've got a special edition in store for you where we highlight the best of our last 10 episodes. See you all next time on the Subscription Entrepreneur Podcast. Mm -hmm.